good morning to Horizon. All right, let's try that one more time. Good morning to Horizon. How's everyone doing this morning? All right, well, hey, I know that today is the uh, daylight savings time, right? So maybe some of y'all are feeling that time change, and, but uh, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to church, and um, Alex, thanks for the opportunity to speak and teach this morning, and man, we're just so happy for you and Darby. It, it, it's been a long time coming, and um, it's just, we're so excited for you and for Darby and for Sky. It's, oh, it's awesome. Uh, before we begin, why don't we just take a minute and pray? Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for Alex and Darby and Sky. And God, we just pray for this time together. Lord God, how many speak? God, I pray for each one of us that are here today, Lord, that we can hear from you and we can leave um, maybe just a little bit differently than the way we came in today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Alex has been preaching this series called Losing is Winning. And um, when he asked me to speak, this series really piqued my curiosity because I think sometimes we can get so focused on the win. I know sometimes I can get so focused on the win, especially when you're an Eagles fan and you know more losing than winning. So when you hear a series that losing is winning, I, I, th I think it gives like underdogs some hope. Um, but how we see the world and how God sees the world is very different. Sometimes what we think is a win is really a loss in God's eyes. Sometimes we place too much value on what we see on the surface. Um, you may have heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, but in actuality, according to a recent study, 80% of people buy books based on the cover. So we really do judge books by its cover. Um, we judge people by what they post. We judge people by their bank account. Students sometimes can judge who they are by their grades, and we place numbers on ourselves. You know, if we get the right job, if we get the right great grade, we're winning. But sometimes God looks at things a little differently. Sometimes God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says this a little differently from this translation. For in God's deep wisdom, he made it so that the world would not even begin to comprehend him through its own style of wisdom. I love how this translation puts it. In fact, God took immense pleasure in rescuing people. Someone pause there for a second. God takes immense pleasure in rescuing people. God is not out to get you. God is out to save you. Rescuing people of faith through the foolishness of this message we preach. It seems that the Jews are always asking for signs and the Greeks are always on the prowl for wisdom. You know, what type of person are you? Are you the type of person who always needs to see the sign? Are you the type of person, before you make a purchase, you check every consumer report review, you check every product review, and you want to make sure that what you're buying is actually what you're going to get? Um, M. Night Shyamalan puts it this way, the director of the movie uh, The Sixth Sense. They also had a movie called Signs. There's a new movie called Old, which looks really kind of freaky. I don't know. Um, but he's a director, and he said this. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that someone up there is watching out for them. Group number two, maybe this is some of you, sees it as just pure luck, just a turn of chance. 
You know, are you the type of person who everything happens for a reason, or are you just the person who's like, eh, you know how it all works out, you know how it washes out in the end. So you have to ask yourself, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles, or just the happy turn of chance? Do you believe people just get lucky? Um, I'm definitely not the second category. I am, I am not lucky. I am really, really not lucky. That's why, like, I would not even, like, gamble, at, like, at just for fun. Like, when the Powerball gets super high, there's no way. I will always lose. Whenever I play games, I will always lose. I'm just not a very lucky person. And you'll see later on in this message why I'm really not a lucky person. But some people like signs. Some people want that confirmation to know that they're on the right path. You know, especially if you're ever traveling somewhere you've never been before, you want those mile markers. You want those signs. You know, you want to follow a GPS to the letter of the GPS. And sometimes when you go somewhere where you're really unsure, you turn down the music because somehow that helps you drive better and see those signs a little bit better. Abraham was one of those people who did not believe in luck. He looked for a sign. And in this passage in Genesis 18 and 19, we're going to see how much Abraham was looking for a sign, a sign that would save his family, a sign that would save his nephew, Lot. Now, in Genesis 18, this is the story where, in the beginning of the chapter, God meets Abraham and tells him, you're going to have a son. How awesome, how exciting. But then in the end of the chapter, the angels tell Abraham, oh, hey, by the way, that town where your nephew's living, yeah, we're going to destroy that town. And so Abraham's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, maybe we can talk about this. Maybe we can work out a deal. You ever have one of those moments where you're dialoguing with God and you're bargaining with God? You're not the only one. Abraham did the same thing. So in verse, Genesis 18, verse 23, it says this. After he finds out what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, where his nephew is living. Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? That's a great question. Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in that city. A whole city. 50 people. It's not a lot. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying righteous along with the wicked. Verse 26, and the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the entire city for their sake. So in this chapter, Abraham and God go back and forth because Abraham is smart and he thinks about it. And he's like, wait, Sodom is really a messed up town. I don't really think there's 50. And then he goes and he says, God, if there's 40, all right, God, if there's 40 people, will you not destroy this city? And it goes back and forth from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20. Finally, Abraham's like, okay, maybe 10, maybe 10, because what he's thinking is his family. He's like, maybe 10. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Aren't you glad that God allows us to like have dialogues like this? I mean, just, just stop here for a second. God could have been like, no, Abraham, this is what I'm doing. Just suck it up and deal with it. Um, he didn't. He allowed Abraham the process. God allows us the process in these moments. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only ten are found there. Only ten out of the city. Ten. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for their sake. For ten. You know, it's interesting. In the Bible, there's like these little headings over certain passages, and sometimes we think these little headings over the passages are inspired. They're not. In this um, heading, it says, the Bible, it says that Abram intercedes for Sodom. Was Abraham really asking for Sodom to be spared? 
Or was he really praying for his nephew to be spared? You know, how many times do we go through dialogue with God or with others and we, and we share like the second or third reason why we want something, not the number one reason why, right? I mean, think about it. In relationships, it's not you, it's me. No, it really is you. You're just saying it's me, right? Or when you transition from a job, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, it's like closer to my house and blah, 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 blah. No, you don't like your boss. People don't leave jobs, they leave bosses, right? But they'll never say that. Man, you are such a jerk. I hate coming to work every day and working for you. No, you don't say that. I'm like, oh, really great job. It's near my family, blah, 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 blah. You don't say the first thing. We do that. We play this game. Abraham was playing this game with God. He didn't want to say lot, but that's what he really meant. I'm glad that God loves us so much that he's willing to pass, push past the layers of our facade, our shame, our fear, to really get toward our hearts. We say this, but God really knows what the true reason is. You know, a lot of times when we pray, we can get frustrated because what if God says no? Or what if God doesn't answer at all? Garth Brooks had a famous song back in the 90s. Thank God. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. It's a huge, huge song. Um, God always answers prayer. Silence isn't always a no. What we want isn't always a yes. Sometimes we can't go by what we see as the answer to our prayer. Sometimes we have to push past and believe things through a heavenly perspective, through an eternal perspective. Too often we get focused on the short term when God is interested in the long term. Sometimes God sees what we really want, what we really need, instead of just what we're focusing on in the meantime, in the temporary. God sees things through an eternal perspective. God still destroyed Sodom, but God still saved Lot. That's what we see. What does Abraham see? We we look further down in this chapter, Genesis 19, verse 27, it says this, after Abraham had this bargaining session with God. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord, same place where he bargained. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. He was looking for a sign. He wanted to wake up and go to the spot where he prayed and look over that mountain and see the city still standing there, and God answered his prayer. But he looked over and he saw the city destroyed. In his perspective, God didn't answer his prayer. God didn't save his nephew. He didn't, he's, he, he, the sign he saw was not the one he wanted. Although it looked like a loss, it was really a win. Maybe some of you are praying for something. Maybe you're in a situation and all you see is smoke and you think, God, where are you? God is in the midst of the smoke. What we see is not what God knows. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Hebrew culture talks about how they always looked for a sign, but Abraham saw smoke. We can't always go by how things look. We can't. 
especially in today's day and age with filters and like carefully crafted angles and pictures. Well, recently, um, I went by how things look. Uh, I like sneakers. Um, I'm a sneakerhead, as they say. My dad, back in the day, got a pair of Air Jordans um, when I was nine years old, and I was like just mesmerized. Um, I'm wearing ones that look very similar to what my dad bought. And um, when I wear these shoes, it makes me think of my dad. Um, and so I saw these pair of Jordans on the internet, on eBay. I wanted these shoes when I was in sixth grade, couldn't afford them, all right? And I saw these shoes and I'm like, I'm gonna get them, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna get the things I couldn't afford as a kid, right? So I saw the pictures, I was like, I'm gonna get these Jordans, gonna be awesome. They even had an authenticity where they go to New York to get authenticated by a reputable authenticator for sneakers. Like, they show that these are really real because there's fakes out there. So I bought these, they got authenticated, they went to New York before they came to my house, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to wear these. I even showed my son, I'm like, Keen, how cool these shoes look. He's like, Dad, those look, look pretty cool. Wore them to Target. Did not play basketball in them, did not run in them, just wore them to Target, and I have them here with me right now. Wore these to Target, wore them once. The soles came apart from one wear. Shoes don't do this with one wear to Target. These shoes that were authenticated, look, I mean, look, look at that. Like, come on. Even smells funny, all right? Seriously, the authenticator should smell these sneakers. All right, sneaker, this does not happen from one wear. All right, they're fake. They looked real, they were authenticated as real, but they were fake. You can't always go by what you see. And when things look perfect, they're probably not. How much time do we waste looking at things, wishing for things, I know I do this sometimes. I'm like, man, look at their life. Look how well they have it all together. If it looks perfect, maybe they don't. You know, we, and we put on these, these facades and, and things don't look exactly how they are. You know, maybe for some of us, we look at those things and we're like, man, I want that. Maybe some of us are like this. We look really good, but we're fooling a lot of people. And God really sees how we are. You know, we can't always go by what we see. You can't always trust people. People will let you down. But God will always lead you through. My question to you is, can you trust and see that God is good? There's a line in this passage between, um, in Genesis 19, when we learn that God is actually saving Lot and his family, his wife. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. Four people. All right. Abraham's math was off by a little bit. Okay. All right. But God still saved his people. In Genesis 19, it says this. When they were coming down, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. Verse 16. I, man, when I read this verse, it jumped off the page to me. Verse 16. When he hesitated, He's got two angels telling him, this city is going to be destroyed, and he hesitated. How many times do we hear from God, and yet we hesitate? But God's so good. 
that the men, these angels that were with him, grabbed him by the hand and the hand of his wife and his two daughters. These men grabbed all of them. They, he, all of them. And led them to safety out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Thank God for his mercy. God is merciful to you. God is merciful to me. Even when we don't get it right, even when we're told to do something and we don't do it, sometimes God is like, get going, you know? And sometimes that get going is uncomfortable. We don't want to be pushed. We don't want to be pulled. But sometimes we need to be because there's a reason that we don't see in the temporary, but there's a greater reason. When, when he hesitated, even when we hesitate, God will still help us. Even when we hesitate, God will still help you. The Lord is merciful. People don't get what they deserve in the Old Testament. People don't get what they deserve in the New Testament. People don't get what they, what they deserve now. We don't. That's the beauty of grace. The beauty of grace is it makes life not fair. I'm grateful for that. And my question to you is, how do you look at the world? Corrupted or compelling? Broken or beautiful? Worthless or worthy? How do you look at you? Corrupted or compelling? Broken or beautiful? Worthless or worthy? You are worth saving. Don't look back from what God saved you from. Yeah, there may be pain. Yeah, you can look back and say, I wish I could have done this, I wish I could have done that. But God led you through that. Maybe there's something better on the other side and you just don't realize it yet. You know, it's interesting. I was in a virtual meeting. Um, I'm a teacher and we had a virtual professional development on Friday. And so we were working with some teachers on how to implement biblical curriculum into what we're learning. And so I was in this meeting and one of the teachers kept talking about how awful the world is and how awful we are as people. And she kept using this word corrupted. We're corrupted, blah, 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 blah. And I get it. Like, because of sin, the world isn't what God intended to be. I get all that. But God still sent his son to die for us. You're not corrupted. Yeah, you may sin. And sin, we are not our sin. And I think that's the thing that we get wrong sometimes. Sometimes we look at, we identify who we are by what we do. You do something wrong, you're a bad person. You do something great, you're a great person. But whether you do something good or do something bad, that doesn't define who you are as a person. You are a child of God. You are someone who is created in the image of God. That's not junk. That you are priceless and you are worth saving. Just because you may do something wrong doesn't make you a bad person. We need to stop putting our identity in the things that are temporary and start seeing who we are through the eternal, that you are compelling, beautiful, and worthy. Don't look back, because that's what Lot's wife did. Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, there's like some debate about whether or not she actually became a pillar of salt, or is that like figurative speech? You know, because there's a lot of hyperbole in the Bible. Jesus said, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, I don't think God is all about self-harm, right? Um, so, 
I looked at what these words meant, pillar of salt, and looking back. In Hebrew, looking back actually means more than a glance over one shoulder. You know, we look back when, like when we're merging. You know, we look back, we glance back, we're like, merge! You know, you're like looking forward, but you're really looking back, and you kind of think of looking back like that. Just kind of look back, you know? Something scares you, you look back, and you move forward. But looking back in Hebrew actually means to regard, to consider, to pay attention to. So when she looked back, she didn't just look back, she, she stopped and gazed and stared. That term pillar, you know, we think of pillars like strong, sturdy, you know, like became a pillar of salt, just stood there. But pillar in Hebrew actually means to be a garrison or a deputy, something set to watch over something else. She didn't just look over that city. She, she like, it's like she stood guard over that city. She didn't want to leave that city. And you know what's so interesting about looking back over the Dead Sea where that town was? The image of Lot standing watch over the Dead Sea area, nothing lives there. Nothing can grow where the Dead Sea is. Nothing. She's looking back over something that is dead. That's what we do when we look at our past. Nothing grows in the past. We look back in our past like it's going to change something. That's a <laughs> I didn't plan that, by the way. All right? We look back like it's going to change something. Nothing changes. And we keep looking back and replaying images or pictures of our life, thinking like things are going to change. They don't. We're like a pillar of salt, standing back, wishing, hoping that something can change. If we just think about it differently or long enough, or we just wish and pray that somehow things will change. They won't. Keep going forward. Don't look back. I love what Steve Jobs says, the founder of Apple. He has this quote. If you want to live your life in a creative way as an artist, you have to not look back too much. You have to be willing to take whatever you've done and whoever you were and throw them away. Ooh, that's deep. Steve Jobs didn't always win. Like in the 2000s, we know him as winning iPod, iPhone, iPad. Like my man was just like, win, win, win. You know, it was like, what's Steve Jobs going to do next? He was like the Willy Wonka of our day. You know, like, what really amazing, crazy thing is Steve Jobs going to create? But when he founded Apple, he actually got fired from the company that he created. Imagine that. You create this company, and they fire you. The interesting thing is that Steve Jobs didn't make his first billion with Apple. He made his first billion with Pixar, the company that he went to after he got fired. And that company that he worked at Pixar helped him come back and reestablish Apple as what it is today. If he never got fired, we might not have the Steve Jobs that we have today. We might not have the Apple that we have today. We might be all having Androids, and how sad is that when we text and we see green bubbles. It's a really sad thing. But listen, that failure helped him to move forward. And if he got stuck thinking about, wow, they fired me, and I, and I created this place. If he got stuck there, he wouldn't be able to do the amazing things that he has done later on in his life. 
And you know, some of us, we want all the things right now. But God may be doing something greater on a timetable that maybe sometimes we don't fully understand. I like what Philippians 3, 13, and 14 says from the message translation. And this is what I'm ending with. Marissa, if you can come. This is Paul speaking, and I like how Paul puts this. This, like, you could just hear the humility in his voice. This is Paul later on in his years. Early on in his years, Paul wouldn't probably be speaking like this because he was cocky, because he was a Pharisee, and Pharisees thought they had it all together, and you didn't. But at the, at, the, at the end of his life, he started to realize that he learned some things. I'm not, and this is what he says, I'm not saying I have all, all of this together, that I have it made. But I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wonderfully reached out for me. God reached out for Lyle. God reached out for Paul. God's reaching out to you. I'm glad that God has reached out to me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert on any of this. But I've got my eye on the goal. God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. And I'm not turning back. That's what I want. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes in life, you look at things differently. When you're young, you just want to be older, right? And then when you get older, it's like you want to be younger. (laughs) It's crazy. And sometimes I can get so hung up on the mistakes I've made, decisions I've made, work decisions, career choices, and think, well, I was just smarter. If I could have just done this or have done that, maybe my life would be better now, or maybe things would be better now. Maybe I would be better now. But I want to be who I am now. You don't, you wouldn't be who you are now. Those experiences, those things, the wins, the losses, they all shape who you are and they all have a purpose. You know, it's interesting. When I look for sneakers now, sometimes I look for a, like a flaw or like a scuff, something to show that there's somewhere. Because if it looks too perfect, maybe it's not. When I worked as a jeweler in college, jewelers sometimes would purchase diamonds that had some small flaws in them so they could know that it's real. Some in, they're called inclusions, right? So they know that it's real. Because if a diamond looked too perfect, it probably was fake. You know, sometimes we don't like those inclusions in our lives, but it makes us who we are. It makes us unique, and God loves you, and God died for you, and God is going to take all those things, the good and the bad, and turn it into something beautiful. There's still more to do. There's still good on its way. There's good right now. You look around. You're here. You're here for a reason. We may not always get what we want right now, but it doesn't mean that God's not answering our prayer, walking alongside of us, pulling us along when we want to stay where we are. We can trust God. You know, talked about in the beginning of this message about 
Are you a person who looks for signs or you're just lucky? But I really want just to know that God's with me. That's all I really want to know. God, I'm going through this situation. Are you with me? That's what matters most. Because I can go through anything knowing that God's with me, pulling me along. And maybe you're in that situation and you need God to help just to keep you on that path. You can trust him. He's good. He won't let you down. He will lead you through. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God that when you hesitate, that when we hesitate, you help. That when we feel like we can't go on, God, you pull us forward. May we not look back to what has been, but God, may we look right now of the beauty of this moment and the good that is here because you are with us. And no matter where we go, no matter what we've done, Lord, when you're with us, that is all we really, really need. You make all the difference in the world. And you love us. And we're grateful for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.